Our country's full. We're full. Our system's full. Our country's full. Can't come in. Our country is full. Well, we're full of something. He's got that right. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From middle Pacifica with Radio you. in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN in Palinville, New York on WLPP, up in Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KBGD, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950 KTNF. And you folks up there in Minnesota and Wisconsin will uh, need to get your raincoats out again. Buckle up. I'm sorry to say. Also streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I guess I should say for those folks up in uh, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin, not just your raincoats, but your snow coats, your snow shovels and plows. Oh, yes. Looks like it's going to be a doozy. Another uh, blizzard and bomb cyclone and uh, flooding and mess thereafter headed your way, I'm sorry to say. Uh, Sorry for that. uh, Starting off with that bad news. But that's only for people who live pretty much everywhere along the Mississippi. (laughs) It's only, you know, I don't know, half the country or so. Yeah, we'll have more of that uh, on our Green News report a little bit later today. But before I get lost altogether here, I want to pick up... um, from where we left off a little bit yesterday with some listener mail concerning my conversation with Phil Aronianu, which I think I just said right, uh, uh, of the ACLU, uh, on the group's first time big investment, big money, $30 million investment into campaign politics, which the ACLU does not usually do. This is the first time they are running a what they are calling their rights for all campaign. And it is meant to get candidates from all parties on the record concerning civil rights issues before uh, the 2020 election on a number of uh, civil liberties and constitutional rights issues, some of which, as we discussed on our uh, broadcast yesterday, may be seen as thorny political issues for some candidates, particularly for many of the Democratic presidential candidates. Now, 
The campaign, which you can get more info about and questions to ask of these candidates when they show up to campaign events and town halls near you, uh, you can find those questions at rightsforall.us. Among some of the questions that the ACLU would like to get answers on record from these candidates uh, on are on voting rights for the incarcerated, which I concur with, by the way, uh, people who are in jail. I believe, yes, they should have a voice in our democracy as well. Uh, ending the Hyde Amendment, which bars the use of federal funds for abortions, except for cases of incest, rape or life of the mother. So uh, questions like that to sort of get an idea where the candidates stand on these important issues, which really should be brought up by uh, journalists, but they're usually not. I raised the question with Phil when he was on the show yesterday as to whether some of these issues could end up being traps of sorts for some of the Democratic candidates where Republicans could then use their answers to tar them as extreme leftists. You know, oh, they want prisoners to vote. Well, right now in Maine and Vermont, prisoners are allowed to vote, but in the rest of the country, they are not. And as I said, I think they should be allowed to, but I could see uh, folks on the right, Fox News, and even the non-right-wing media using this against these candidates to call them out as extreme leftists or something, even though I agree with uh, some of these positions we're talking about. So the context that I offered in my question to Phil about this was, you know, that, that Donald Trump, frankly, I believe to be the is the gravest threat to such civil liberties and constitutional rights that this nation may have ever seen. And that was a position that Phil seemed to agree with. They're a nonpartisan group. But when it comes to issues, you know, they can say what they believe on the issues. And so my question to him was, isn't there a risk in pressing candidates on these issues uh, by adding fodder? you know, for the right and the irresponsible media. Well, yes, because uh, the corporate media is very likely to adopt Republicans framing on all of yeah, this, which is what they typically what they, do. They do. Yeah, exactly. And and thus they would be able then to back some of these folks into a corner, even though I like to see them pressed for answers and, and forced to take progressive positions where possible. But the concern is, uh, frankly, uh, that anything that that might make it easier for Trump to win is not a good thing, which, as I argued somewhat as the devil's advocate uh, yesterday on the show, but not entirely, I argued that that would be worse for civil liberties and constitutional rights if Donald Trump were to win a second term than if virtually any Democrat, at least those currently running, were elected as president next year. So was that a concern of Phil's? And he said, well, no, he you know thinks we ought to stick with the issues that matter that are important uh, to us at the ACLU. Well, we took some calls on those points, and I received a fair amount of email after the show from those who were not listening live. So I wanted to share a couple of those with you. Uh, this to bradcast at bradblog.com, where I'm happy to hear from you and keep this conversation going, comes from Ron L. He says, hi, Brad, you're setting up a false and unnecessary dichotomy when you discuss any Democrat being preferable to dumpster, I guess that would be Trump. Uh, <laughs> it's false because it comes from a place of weakness. For example, it's tantamount to saying 
will do anything to get rid of the dumpster to hell with what he or she stands for. The only subject we need to discuss is who is the best candidate, Ron L. argues. Well, I I don't know if that's a false dichotomy in that I think we should do anything to get rid of the dumpster. And I wouldn't go as far as to say to hell with what he or she stands for, but I can't imagine he or she standing for anything more offensive and horrific for uh, our the values of our nation and uh, civil liberties uh, than what Donald Trump stands for. In any event, uh, Ron L. says the only subject we need to discuss is who is the best candidate. This means who has the best agenda in conjunction with being the most popular with the people. Just like Bernie does, he says, we gain supporters by putting forth a positive vision, by inspiring people, spending much time talking about how bad the other guy is, is a losing formula. Thanks for the show, Ron L. Well, I would say thanks for the note, Ron L. Much appreciated. And uh, and by the way, I wholeheartedly agree with him that spending much time talking about how bad the other guy is, I do believe that is... Well, that's a dead end. Uh, a dead end. Uh, yeah. At least uh, the more important end needs to be expressing what you will, why voters should vote for you instead of why voters should vote against the other guy. Still, potentially handicapping your own uh, candidates, especially in this situation where we're in with Donald Trump, I'm not sure that's a good idea. But I could be wrong, which is why I wanted to open the phones yesterday and read some of these emails today, uh, including this also, um, who sort of seems to uh, uh, disagree with the general point I was making from Susan S., better known as For Earth. Oh, hey, For Earth. friend. Yep. <laughs> She says, uh, hi, Brad, when it comes to asking candidates hard questions, I have to agree with your ACLU friend having apprehensions that many uh, uh, that asking questions important to progressive voters may give the right wing ammo for an attack is just plain wrong. Many of us are really sick of politicians who pussyfoot around the, the uh, during the campaign so that we really don't know what they are all about. And then once elected, we find they very decisively do the wrong thing. What Warren said, this is Elizabeth Warren she's referring to, when questioned as to whether people in prison should vote, she had said that she's all for people who have served their time after they're out of jail being allowed to vote, which uh, you still can't do in every state. Uh, But as far as people who are incarcerated voting, uh, Elizabeth Warren said, well, I think that needs further discussion. Uh, Susan says that's uh, politician talk for I'm trying to please everyone so I can get elected, but I really am not going to want to let prisoners vote. Call me jaded, says Susan, but that is usually how it works. And I am one progressive who is going to pay close attention to those answers that the ACLU gets good on them for asking. She writes, as you said earlier, it's what the press should be doing. Cheers, Susan. Thank you very much for that, Susan. And I believe uh, she makes excellent points. I'm not, as I said, I was sort of raising that as the devil's advocate, but not entirely because I think it is a worthwhile question to discuss, especially as we move forward with some 20 Democratic candidates vying for this thing. Uh, And there's going to be a lot of questions about how we choose among them. 
Yeah, it's going to be excellent, hopefully very excellent and helpful for distinguishing between different candidates and and what they're going for. I would say that the uh, Tea Party in 2010 and forward actually did show that these kinds of direct engagement questions and mm-hmm. really pressuring candidates does seem to reap rewards as far as at the ballot box. Except for the part where Democrats don't show up after, you know, the presidential race. Once that's over, then they don't show up for midterm races. So midterm elections. So yeah. we'll have to see. Well, if you know that what? Yes and no. I'm not going to. I, you know, I'm not. I don't blame voters. I, uh, no, I never blame. You are a little bit. You're blaming I'm voters. Saying You're they saying they don't, they don't show up. Right. I'm saying I would blame the candidates for that because they don't give them, uh, as Ron L said, something to vote for. Give them a positive agenda to vote for. Four. I agree with that. All right. Well, there we go. Well, as long as we found agreement, then let's take a break and come. No, not yet. I want to. Uh, uh, Eric Bollert, a media critic who uh, uh, was was writing about, uh, I think, over at Daily Coast about how the press has bungled the bar summary of the Mueller report and how that has worked to Trump's advantage. Was something that he wrote in that article sort of seems to apply here. He, he, he writes, We've seen this unsettling show before, namely during the 2016 presidential campaign season. Following that debacle, most in the press refused to concede mistakes had been made, that they made mistakes, let alone offer up such serious self-reflection. It's simply not possible for news organizations to screw up as badly as they did in 2016 not deal with their shortcomings and then expect journalism during the Trump era to improve. During the campaign, he writes, the media failures were manifest. They treated Trump like a celebrity and let him essentially get away with running a substance-free campaign. While every Hillary Clinton utterance was dissected in an obsessive search for hypocrisy and bad faith. So he was talking about how the uh, media screwed up the bar summary. But the reason it jumps out at me, and by the way, we may have uh, Eric on the show tomorrow to talk about uh, this and other things. Oh, good. But um, uh, in one sense, this applies here uh, because I'm concerned. One of the reasons I mentioned it is because it's not just the Republicans who will use these various positions against the candidates, but also the media uh, irresponsibly in, in many ways. Uh, In one sense, I would argue, sort of responding to Bullard here, that the way they dealt with the way the media dealt with Hillary is actually how it should work. In one sense, it's, you know, the media should be doing their job. They should be on, as he describes, an obsessive search for hypocrisy and bad faith. That is fine by me. But that only works if all candidates are treated the same way, which obviously Donald Trump was not in 2016. And he's not now being treated that way. And I have no reason to believe that he will be treated with that same sort of skepticism and the obsessive search for hypocrisy and bad faith in the 2020 campaign either. But, you know, the Democratic candidate, oh, you can bet your boots they will be. And they will be asked time and time again, well, why do you believe prisoners should vote? Why do you believe uh, we should uh, uh, that the taxpayers should fund Abortion at the federal level and all of those questions. That's why I'm raising this, uh, because we don't have a smart media. We don't have a media who plays it honestly uh, for all candidates. And so I am just somewhat wary of how things move forward, at least to the point where I want to bring it up and, and hear what you all have to say about it. 
you know, it, it should it 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 should not be a one way street that puts the candidates one candidate over another at an automatic disadvantage where their policies and positions and statements are used against them. But we all laugh and think, oh, how lovably crazy that other guy, Donald Trump, is. We don't we don't take him seriously. But you can bet your boots they're going to take the Democrats seriously. Bullard goes on right uh, to this day. Most in the media have not summoned the proper courage to properly deal with a congenital liar like Trump. And so three years after the campaign, we're once again watching as the Beltway press fumbles through another Trump related failure. Talking about the Mueller report and the bar summary. And not just any failure, he says, they are bungling the media. What might be the most important story of the Trump presidency since, in theory, the Mueller report has the power to end Trump's time in office. Hard to disagree with him. Hard to disagree with uh, uh, his point there. And so I'm just I want to toss that into the mix when we're all pressing each other and all of the candidates for their positions. And, you know, I already have some concerns uh, I can foresee. It hasn't happened yet for the most part. But in this political atmosphere, there's already been some signs of it between supporters of certain candidates on the Democratic side who seem to view each other as a threat. And, you know, we certainly saw it during the Bernie Hillary wars where progressives begin to turn on each other. And what you end up with is... A Donald Trump. And frankly, and I've heard the argument from uh, from from listeners and and others before, uh, and I completely disagree. The argument that, uh, well, do you think it would have been any better had Hillary been in office now? Yes. The answer is yes. There is no question about that. The answer is yes. And again, yes. The nation, the world, the globe, the human species and every other species on Earth, yes, would have been better off had Hillary Clinton been elected president. And that is true whether you like her or not. Okay. Uh, Hey, uh, speaking of the uh, Green News Report coming up uh, a little bit later, one of the stories that uh, we cover relates to the Republicans who, who came out with their response to the Green New Deal which they are calling the Green Real Deal. And now, by the way, if the Green New Deal was such a ridiculous, laughable failure, why are the Republicans bothering now to try to come up with something, anything to respond to it? Gosh, it's almost like they're being forced to because somebody put forth an actual policy. And uh, yeah, and because... And it's wildly popular uh, among the public. Yeah, even though the media has been playing along with, oh, it's crazy, this Green New Deal. It'll cost us $100 trillion. Lying about it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I won't give away too much of what is in the Republican Green Real Deal plan and how it's being sold by its main sponsor, Congressman Matt Gates of the uh, sinking state of Florida. Uh, But just by way of a teaser here uh, for what we'll talk about in the GNR in a little bit. Here's what he said during a part of his press conference announcing the Green Real Deal last week. My name is Matt Gates. I represent Florida's first congressional district. While it is above water, history will judge harshly my Republican colleagues who deny the science of climate change. Wow. 
Yeah. How about that? I was pretty shocked to hear him say that. That's Matt Gates, who's like uh, Donald Trump's uh, number fan one fanboy. Number fan one fanboy in right. Congress. Having definitely. an out with Devin Nunes, as far as that goes. Well, but that's yeah. true. Um, so, she, hey. He, he would be head of the Donald Trump fan club. Good for him for saying that. Uh, that that his Republican colleagues for calling climate change a hoax should be uh, ashamed of themselves. What else? And they he, should be. And they should be. Uh, of course, he's from Florida, which, as I said, is sinking. So what else did he have to say? Similarly, those Democrats who would use climate change as a basis to regulate out of existence the American experience will face the harsh reality that their ideas will fail. Oh, oh, well. Oh, well. He was so close. <laughs> he was so close. Yeah. So he got it right on the Republicans and then he had to turn around. Both sides, similarly, the Democrats should be ashamed for regulations. <sighs> anyway, that gives you an idea of what Matt Gates, uh, who introduced the Green Real Deal, uh, what he's on about in that. So that's coming up a little bit. So close, Desi. I know. He was so close. Uh, All right. Anyway, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break here. Uh, We got a lot more to get to today. Uh, because, you know, it's just another day of the week in, in the Trump, Trump era, so <laughs> it never stops. We'll try to get to some of that and the uh, latest immigration madness right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Please don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Dust in the wind. Yeah. All we are is dust in the wind. Do you know why I'm playing that, Desi Doyen? I do not. You do not? I do not. Well, uh, whose song is that? Uh, that's Kansas. Kansas, right? So you got a story about Kansas coming I up? I do, and okay. and who in Kansas is sort of dust in the wind at this point? Chris Kobach. There you go. You got it right. <laughs> Welcome back Secretary to the Bradcast. Said. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com with Desi Doyen winning her prize today. Uh, yeah. Smartly done. Uh, yes, poor, poor former Republican Kansas. Secretary of State, failed gubernatorial candidate, longtime GOP voter fraud fraudster, Chris Kobach of Kansas. He just cannot catch a break. Even, I know you're happy about that, even from fellow Kansan and Republican U.S. Senator Pat Roberts. Long and I don't know if you heard this story uh, today, Des, but long I got to sort of back up a little. Long before Chris Kobach became an anti-voting, pro-voter suppression, GOP voter fraud fraudster, uh, he made his living like a modern-day Republican anti-immigrant music man, if you will. 
I could have played a song from Music Man here yeah, as well. Okay. Uh, he would go from town to town, essentially, and sell them on racist anti-immigrant legislation to deter immigrants from moving to and living peacefully in a number of small towns across the country. Uh, we talked about it last year a little bit on uh, in previous broadcasts. Uh, in every, in almost every case. The laws, as the Kansas City Star had reported, I think, last year, the laws that he helped local officials to draft were ultimately found to be unconstitutional by courts. And then these small towns in question, they got stuck not just paying Kobach's exorbitant legal fees to write these bad laws and then to pay him to try to defend these bad laws in court, but the towns were often uh, given millions of dollars in penalties that they had to pay up for the discriminatory actions that Kobach had sold them on. That's how he made his living. That's how he made his bones on wow. the hard right. Yeah. So uh, and then he went into the anti-voting business claiming there was massive fraud by Democrats and non-citizens who were voting that only he could prevent. Well, that was that was a con as well, as it turns out, which most of America, I think, seems to have figured out by now. But not our president, who is just too clever to be taken in by, you know, things like facts and independently verifiable evidence and so forth. So he's still 100 percent with Kobach. But uh, nonetheless, Kobach was eventually, because, yes, facts and independently verifiable evidence actually does matter, Kobach was eventually forced to shut down the so-called Presidential Voter Fraud Commission that Trump had tapped him to head up by appointment of the president. And he was forced to shut that down in no small part because the commission was unable to find any of the massive voter fraud that they had all pretended had existed and because Kobach, frankly, kept violating the law in the way that he was running the commission and kept facing yet again all of these lawsuits and losing them. And even though they had all um, even though uh, Kansas voters had all rejected Kobach for a Democrat instead as governor in last year's statewide gubernatorial race in otherwise very red Kansas, by the way, congratulations, Governor Laura Kelly out there in uh, in Kansas, uh, even though <laughs> Kobach has failed time and time again, Trump is still reportedly considering these this embarrassing con man Kobach for a top position in the Trump administration. Now to work on immigration since, well, Kobach needs a job, apparently. Trump needs an anti-immigrant zealot and con man. And there are now a whole lot of job openings in the Trump administration where Trump has either fired everyone or they quit because they no longer wanted to be associated with his historically failed presidency. So Chris Kobach, paging Chris Kobach seems perfect, perfect chance for him. But even he may not be able to make it into the Trump administration, where apparently they will hire just about anyone, no matter how buffoonishly unqualified or inappropriate for any particular job that any particular person they hire may be. According to uh, Brian Lowry at the Kansas City Star today, one of the GOP senators from Chris Kobach's home state said Tuesday that the Senate would not be able to confirm the Kansas Republican Chris Kobach if 
President Donald Trump taps him for a cabinet post. Kobach, the former Secretary of State, has been mentioned as a potential candidate for an array of immigration-related positions since Trump pulled his nominee for the Director of Immigration Customs Enforcement last week and since uh, he announced the departure of Secretary of uh, Homeland Security Kirsten Nielsen on Sunday. But Senator Pat Roberts, Republican of Kansas, says that he does not believe the Republican-controlled Senate could confirm his fellow Kansan for one of these top posts. That, even though Republicans have 53 seats right now in the Senate, and only 50 of them would be required to approve him, along with the vice, the vice president breaking any tie on his behalf, if that might happen, but uh, Roberts, quote-unquote, whispered to the Kansas City Star when he was asked about Kobach today uh, on his way into a Senate vote. He said, don't go there. We can't confirm him. Hmm. Then Roberts added, I never said that to you. <laughs> that, according to Lowry, despite the fact that another reporter was present at the time and the star had not agreed to an off-the-record conversation. So, oops, that conversation went public today with uh, Kansas's own senator, senior senator, saying, uh, yeah, don't even talk about Kobach because we can't get him through the Senate. The GOP-controlled Senate. The paper goes on to note that uh, Kobach met with Trump in 2016 to discuss a strategic plan for Democratic, I'm sorry, for Department of Homeland Security, uh, which oversees immigration enforcement and has previously said that he turned down two jobs in the Trump administration in order to run for Kansas governor last year. Did I mention that he lost that race? Yes. In formerly deep red Kansas, I mentioned that. After he was strongly endorsed by President Trump. Anyway, Kobach and his former campaign team did not immediately answer phone calls uh, from the star. But the Kansas Republican told the Washington Examiner that he has communicated with the White House about filling the DHS job that uh, Nielsen has now vacated. Uh, he told the uh, the examiner, if Trump wants to have me serve in this capacity and thinks it would be the best thing for the country, I would certainly do so. I bet he would. <laughs> uh, he needs a job. Yes, he do. Uh, after this story was published initially today, Senator Roberts' office did a bit of ass covering for him, I think, uh, blaming Kobach's difficult path to confirmation on Senate Democrats. In a statement that was released by the office on Tuesday afternoon, uh, in that statement, Robert says the makeup of the Senate is extremely difficult for any nominee to be confirmed, and it's only going to get worse. This body has six Democrats currently running for president who wish to obstruct the president's agenda at all costs. Chris and I have discussed this. I have supported Chris Kobach in the past, and I have supported every one of Trump's nominees. But ultimately, this will be the president's decision. So, yeah, he's uh, covering his rear end there because uh, never mind the six Democrats who are running for president in the in the Senate. The Republicans control the Senate with 53 seats plus the vice president to break any potential ties. So and uh, they have done away with the filibuster. So basically, you just need 50, 50 votes 
from senators plus plus Pence. plus Pence, and you're in. So to blame Democrats for the fact that uh, Roberts got caught saying out loud what is true, which is that we'd be very embarrassed mm-hmm. to uh, confirm this guy for dog catcher, much less the head of this sprawling, huge agency, DHS. As well they should be, because the dude is also incompetent. Yep. And uh, it was, in fact, the Kansas City Star and ProPublica, their investigation last year that detailed the financial toll that some of the municipalities that hired Kobach as attorney uh, to defend their immigration ordinance had uh, had faced. In the months since his electoral defeat, the paper notes, Kobach has championed efforts to construct a border wall through private funds and repeatedly appeared on cable news to defend the president's immigration agenda, which you can consider an audition for Pretty Please Hire Me, Mr. President, for a job. During an appearance on Fox Business Network last week, Kobach called the creation of, called for the creation of, quote, processing towns to temporarily hold people who have been caught crossing the border illegally. He said, uh, we process them right there in that camp. He called it a camp. So I guess he would uh, concentrate all of the folks into those camps, I guess. and where Highly they would... concentrated camps. Yes, exactly. I don't know. Maybe there's a, name, a better name for them. In any event, uh, he said they would have three square meals, living in a nice mobile home, he says. And then as soon as they're done, they're on the next plane home, Kobach told Lou Dobbs. Uh, former state rep John Whitmer, a, a Wichita Republican who was close with Kobach, said those appearances function as an audition for a job in the Trump administration. Whitmer said, I think it's obvious that's what he's trying to do. Kobach has also considered running for Roberts Senate seat in 2020 because uh, Roberts has announced he's going to retire. At the end of the current term. Oh, gosh. So we get to go through Kobach all over again. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. And okay. here's where this comes in. If Trump taps Kobach for a cabinet post or which he'd have to be Senate confirmed for or as an immigration czar, a position which has been floated. Remember when Republicans used to pretend to hate the idea of non-Senate confirmed czars? Oh, yes. They went They went quite out Obama. of their minds right. about that. Yeah, now maybe that's okay. Uh, if he was named for either of those things, it would keep him from entering the race to replace Roberts because he would be busy with the Trump administration. Hmm. And some Republicans don't like the idea of Kobach running for the Senate, for Robert's seat, after he failed, his gubernatorial uh, campaign failed the way it did, couldn't raise money, it couldn't appeal to moderate voters in the Kansas City suburbs, so they kind of like the idea of, hey, let's make him an immigration czar, he won't have to be confirmed, and he won't run for the U.S. Senate and screw up our chances of holding on to the Senate in 2020, which is going to be a lot harder for the uh, Republicans in 2020 than it was for them in 2018. Uh, A former Trump advisor told the Star last week that Trump, quote, knows that keeping the Senate is vital to passing his agenda next term or stopping the Dem agenda, therefore making Kobach an advisor on immigration and keeping him from running for the Senate might help and uh, also help the president pursue his increasingly hardline immigration agenda at the same time. 
This advisor said uh, that if a czar position were run out of the White House rather than DHS, it would not be subject to Senate confirmation. Hmm. It's a win-win, the advisor said. I guess so, since Kobach appears to be toxic to even his own home state Republicans like Senator Pat Roberts. But uh, speaking of Republicans and their willingness, frankly, to break the law, particularly on issues like immigration, because if you care about it enough, I guess it's okay. It's okay to break the law to get what you want. That's fine. No. Because you really care about it. It's important to you. CNN's Jake Tapper uh, reported last night something that was, I mean, frankly, this would be impeachable for any other president or at least any other, you know, a Democratic president. But uh, President Donald Trump has been pushing to reinstate broader family separation policies and sought to close the U.S.-Mexico border at El Paso, Texas, as his conflict with Homeland Security Kirsten Nielsen reached a boiling point in recent weeks. Two Thursdays ago, Tapper reports, in a meeting at the Oval Office with top officials, including Nielsen, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, top aides like Jared Kushner, Uh, and others, including White House counsel Pat Cipollone and others. The president, according to one attendee, was, quote, ranting and raving, saying border security was his issue. Senior administration officials say that Trump then ordered Nielsen and Pompeo to shut down the port of El Paso the next day at noon. The plan was that in subsequent days, the Trump administration would shut down other ports as well. Nielsen told Trump that that would be a bad and even dangerous idea and that the governor of Texas, as Republican Governor Greg Abbott, has been a, has been very supportive of the president. So he might not want to upset Greg Abbott by closing down ports, which end up costing would end up costing uh, Texas millions, if not billions of dollars at that point. She proposed a different plan that would slow down entries at legal ports. She argued that if you close all the ports of entry, all you would be doing is ending legal trade and travel. But migrants would just go to they would go between ports. So you wouldn't stop any of the people from coming in uh, unlawfully. They would just move to different areas. But what would stop would be the billions of dollars in uh, goods and so forth that come come and go across the border every day. According to two people in the room, the president said, I don't care. Ultimately, acting White House Chief of Staff Mike Mulvaney seemed to have been able to talk the president out of closing the port at El Paso. Presumably, that's when Trump came out and said, oh, I I didn't mean to to close the border this week. I meant next year if Mexico doesn't clean up his act. That's that's what I was talking about a year from now. Trump, however, was insistent that his administration begin taking another action, at least by denying asylum seekers entry at all. Nielsen tried to explain to the president that the asylum laws allow migrants from Central America to come to the U.S. and gain entry and then make their claim for asylum. She talked to the White House counsel to see if there were any exceptions to that rule, but he told her that her reading of the law was correct. But here's now where we get to the criminal part, or in the case of the president, I guess the impeachable part from Tapper. Uh, On Friday, Trump visited Calexico, California at the border, And then on Saturday, he visited a Republican Jewish group, by the way, on Saturday, on the Sabbath. A political event. 
Raising money Sabbath. on the Sabbath. Yeah, but that's yeah. a separate issue. Uh, here's how Stephen Colbert reported what happened next. On Saturday, he gave a speech to the Republican Jewish Coalition in mega-donor Shedlin Adelson's casino. Trump explained why he wants to turn away desperate migrants fleeing for their lives. Our country's full. We're full. Our system's full. Our country's full. Can't come in. Our country is full. What can you do? We can't handle anymore. Our country is full. Can't come in. I'm sorry. It's very simple. Again, that's the Republican Jewish Coalition applauding turning away immigrants fleeing persecution. Hashtag always forget. Yeah. So uh, just just saying on that part, uh, Colbert's right on the money there. But uh, here's the here's the part where it gets to the uh, impeachable part. Trump had said something similar in Calexico at the border about being all full up. We're full. Our country's full. We can't take it anymore. Does he think America is like Studio 54 in the in the 80s, for Christ's sake? We are not full up. We don't have to keep people, uh, you know, hanging out at the at the rope line to get in. <laughs> no, we don't. Jesus. Uh, anyway, behind the scenes, two sources told CNN that Trump told border agents to not let migrants in. Tell them we don't have the capacity, he said. If judges give you trouble... Just say, quote, sorry, judge, I can't do it. We don't have the room. So what he's saying is break the law. The president actually told border agents personally to just break the law and then break it again when a judge tells you that you've broken the law and just do it anyway. And in case you think that he was kidding about that, about the idea of ignoring these annoying judges, here he is. Here's Trump just last week in an Oval Office press avail sitting next to the NATO secretary general, by the way, ranting about his own uh, immigration problems. And, well, here's what he said next. And what we have to do is Congress has to meet quickly and make a deal. I could do it in 45 minutes. We need to get rid of chain migration. We need to get rid of catch and release and visa lottery. And we have to do something about asylum. And to be honest with you, I have to get rid of judges. Every time, and you won't even believe this, Mr. Secretary General, you catch somebody that's coming illegally into your country and they bring them to a court. What? You catch them and then you bring them to a court and let them make their case? Oh, you won't believe this, Mr. Secretary General of NATO. Can you believe how we have the rule of law in this country still? It's outrageous. This law stuff is crazy. And... Right before that, he said, we have to get rid of judges. That should send a chill down everyone's uh, spine, frankly. We have to get rid of judges. We have to allow me, the president, to tell agents what they may or may not do, despite the fact that they have laws that say otherwise. So get rid of laws, get rid of judges, just rely on what Donald Trump wants to yeah, say. Yeah, it's it's authoritarianism 101. You order your underlings to do illegal things, and then you replace them when they don't do them, like he did with Secretary Nielsen.
So uh, after the uh, uh, the president left the room uh, back in uh, Calexico, where he told the uh, agents there to uh, just don't don't worry, just don't let these people in, don't let them make their asylum cla- asylum claims. After he left and uh, had told this to agents, while well, they went to their leaders to get further advice, who told them they were not giving them that direction, decidedly not, and that uh, if they did what the president said then they they would take on personal liability for doing so. You have to follow the law, they were told. Good for them. Yeah, you know, we had a little thing called the Nuremberg Trials, as I recall, where it was established that it is unlawful to follow an unlawful order. Yes, even from, in this case, the president of the United States, who is an incorrigible scofflaw and criminal who, if there is a God and there may not be, will at some point be held accountable for his unprecedented law-breaking both before and after becoming president of the United States. But at least, thankfully, there are still people in our federal agencies, even, yes, our our border uh, agencies, who say, no, don't listen to the president. He's telling you to break the law. And yes, had any other president given such an order, a blatantly unlawful, illegal order, Uh, Any other president, at least any other Democratic president, let's put it that way, uh, given such an order, then there would be hearings and there would be an inevitable and frankly appropriate impeachment over it. So uh, at the end of the day, one senior administration official said uh, Donald Trump just wants to separate families. Again, this is from a senior administration official. He just wants to separate families. At the end of the day, the president refuses to understand that the Department of Homeland Security is constrained by the laws because multiple sources have uh, said that the president just simply wants to reinstitute the family separation policy. And uh, according to CNN, the president wanted families separated even if they were apprehended within the United States at a legal port of entry making legal asylum claims. He just thinks that uh, the separations uh, work to deter migrants from coming in. But uh, thankfully, we still have, uh, you know, some of those uh, uh, officials and, yes, judges who are willing to enforce the laws that, yes, we still do have, at least for now. A judge on Monday night blocked the Trump administration policy of returning asylum seekers to Mexico as they wait for an immigration court to hear their cases. Judge Richard Seaborg. Uh, in San Francisco, granted a request by civil liberties groups to halt the practice while their lawsuit moves forward. He put the decision on fr- uh, on hold until Friday to allow uh, the U.S. officials to have their chance to appeal. But uh, this is uh, following the launch of the policy that began in January in San Diego, one of the nation's busiest border crossings. Families seeking asylum typically had been released into the U.S. with notices to appear in court. But now uh, the new Trump administration policy forces them back into Mexico to wait their turn to see those courts and those judges that Donald Trump would like to do away with. 
The uh, lawsuit says the Trump administration is violating U.S. law by failing to adequately evaluate the dangers that migrants face in Mexico. And by sending them back, they will uh, not have access to uh, to attorneys and laws and the courts to be properly heard. Seaborg, the judge Seaborg appeared skeptical, however, of the law's argument that the administration misapplied a U.S. law that allows the return of immigrants to Mexico. Nonetheless, that did not keep White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders from taking to Twitter this morning to attack that judge, who, by the way, happens to be a German immigrant himself appointed to the federal bench by uh, President Obama. Uh, Huckabee Sanders attacked him as, quote, a liberal activist judge in San Francisco who ruled the United States and Mexico can't work together to address asylum issues at the border. Oh, laws. Why are you so burdensome? (laughs) The judge also uh, questioned the Justice Department's argument that asylum seekers sent back to Mexico are not eligible for certain protections, such as a hearing before an immigration judge. The administration hopes uh, that making asylum seekers wait in Mexico will discourage weak claims for asylum and help reduce an immigration court backlog of some 800,000 cases. You know, with a backlog of 800,000 cases of mostly people who presented themselves legally for asylum, maybe it makes more sense to hire more judges, more judges, rather than steal billions from the military to build a wall that doesn't keep them out anyway but maybe that's just me so uh, that's where we are I guess Um, uh, Trump is now looking at actually putting border agents in charge of the interview process rather than judges to try to keep them out pretty much what he told those border agents you decide keep them out if you don't want them don't let them in After the Ninth Circuit ruling, uh, Trump tweeted, so unfair to the U.S., out of control in all caps. And um, a a DHS spokesman, however, declined to comment. So, you know, who are you going to believe here? The judge has it right or Donald Trump and Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Take your pick. Quick break. And we're back with the Green News Report and Desi Doyne right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. By the way, one more point from that uh, story that was from NBC News reporting that uh, Trump wants to put border agents in charge of the asylum interview process. Actually, it looks like his senior advisor, Stephen Miller, wants that. Um, Mm -hmm. One uh, CBP official uh, uh, told NBC News 
that border agents are already overwhelmed at the border and asking them to conduct asylum interviews will only add to their burden and create even more backlogs in the system. Well, yeah, and they're not trained for that kind of thing. They're not trained to evaluate that stuff. It's going to slow everyone up, and obviously Trump doesn't want them to evaluate. He just wants them to say, nope, sorry, we're full. But NBC notes here, and I meant to as well, that the right to seek asylum is protected by both U.S. law and international treaties. So even if you changed the U.S. law when it comes to people uh, seeking asylum, uh, we have international treaties that require us uh, to allow uh, such migrants to uh, claim asylum once they step foot on our uh, in our country. Anyway. So, you know, laws, treaties, they're just getting in the way of stuff. At least they're getting in the way of Trump. We're trying to stop him. That said, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. But then it emerges into the Plain States. And when it does, it becomes a monster storm. We're talking a blockbuster blizzard. Upper Midwest braces for another bomb cyclone and more flooding thereafter. Global warming pushing the Arctic into an unprecedented new state, plus... Today, along with other members of Congress, I'll be filing a Green Real Deal, a common-sense rebuttal to the Green New Deal. Republicans are suddenly coming up with their own climate policy to counter Democrats' popular Green New Deal. All of those rebuttals and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent Green News, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Being the world's fool or patsy won't combat climate change. Oh, well, so much for the Republican climate change plan. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, so the Green New Deal from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is so laughable and so ridiculous that apparently it's led the Republicans to come up with their own plan. Yeah, funny how that works. Huh. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, the National Weather Service is warning the Plains states and the upper Midwest that they could get hit by yet another bomb cyclone later this week. Uh The second one so far this spring that could unleash another wave of flooding in communities along the Missouri and Mississippi rivers that are already saturated, potentially adding to the billions of dollars in losses from the floods last month. Well, that's not good. Nope. Meanwhile, out in Africa, as predicted, a growing humanitarian crisis is underway in the Southeast African nations of Mozambique, Malawi, and Zimbabwe more than three weeks after the powerful cyclone E-Day plowed across the region. Aid organizations are struggling to help hundreds of thousands of people displaced by widespread flooding who are sheltering in tent camps amid an outbreak of cholera. It's remarkable that Donald Trump hasn't said one word to my knowledge about the unfolding disaster in Africa. But then again, those are a bunch of mm, s-hole countries, as he called them. Meanwhile, up in the Arctic, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced that the Bering Sea, which is normally frozen until the month of May, is now almost entirely free of sea ice in early April. 
A different study in the journal Environmental Research Letters concludes that man-made global warming is pushing the entire biophysical systems of the Arctic into a new state. The international team of researchers warn that, quote, the Arctic biophysical system is now clearly trending away from its 20th century state and into an unprecedented state. And they say rising temperatures are already triggering cascading effects in the Arctic ecosystem, from diminishing ice to melting permafrost to changes in the timing of flowering plants and the migration of wildlife and marine life that are in turn affecting indigenous populations and the commercial fishing industry. Remember when Donald Trump and the Republicans used to tell us that climate change was a hoax? That's darling, isn't it? Well, they kind of still do. But congressional Republicans who have denied man-made climate change and blocked action on it for literally decades now appear to be scrambling to come up with their own climate policy to counter the wildly popular Green New Deal resolution introduced by freshman Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Late last week, Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida, one of President Trump's most vocal supporters, rolled out what he called his Green Real Deal, criticizing his Republican colleagues who call climate change a hoax, But then he announced his resolution with false claims. Do we really believe that if we outlaw cars, cows, planes and buildings that the rest of the world will follow? Of course they won't. Of course they won't because no one's calling for that, Matt. (laughs) Exactly. The Green New Deal resolution does not outlaw any of those things. Gates also said the Green Real Deal rejects regulation as the driving force of reform and instead unlocks the unlimited potential of American innovation and ingenuity. Gates's draft resolution calls for modernizing the electric grid and promoting innovation in renewable and nuclear energy and subsidies for capturing carbon dioxide from fossil fuels. Well, those are all good things. They are, and they could all be potentially in the Green New Deal as well. But by rejecting any regulations to get there, Gates is effectively hoping that industry will voluntarily cut carbon emissions. Ah, pretty please do the right thing. Right. The bottom line is the goal of the Green New Deal is to decarbonize the United States economy by mid-century with the speed that scientists say is necessary to avoid catastrophe. If your policy does not do that, it's not an alternative. It's delay. Well, at least Matt Gates is pretending that he's mad at his fellow Republicans who call climate change a hoax. So progress? Maybe. Okay, we'll take what we can get. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. I'm Desi Doyen. And? My name's Matt Gates. I represent Florida's first congressional district while it is above water. And this has been your Green News Report. Just like the rising tide is coming Thank you very much, Desi Doyen yep. and Matt Gates, of course, uh, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. Your support helps make the broadcast available for free for all. So thank you very much for that. Uh, you can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. 
I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you tomorrow. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. It's a Friday.